0: their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge.
1: Welcome to the FDH Lounge. And here's
0: the thing, too, is it like, for anybody that's, like, seeking us out to listen to us talking wrestling together, you know, might very well be people that go back to when we were the fifth Beatles on the incomparable Sunday Night Submission show. The best pro wrestling show at the Sports Talk Network, by the way. Uh, so, I like to think that the pencil listens to us. Yes, yeah. I, I, I would like to think so as well. I love the pencil and I respect his work. And, uh, again, I just, I wish I had the stomach to watch more of the product that he writes for, but it's a thing of, like, I'm, I'm, I'm also just frustrated by the fact that I'm not watching a show where, like, the pencil can do everything he wants to do. I'm a pencil absolutist, Jake Digman, so, yeah. Uh, so, here's, here's the thing that, uh, it's one of the games I have, it's called Find Ryan. Like, first of all, Ryan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, like, like, the other day, he was just walking down a hallway. <laughs> I'm like, dude. Yeah, he was <laughs> yeah, just walking down a hallway. It was the back of his head, but, I mean, like,
0: you know, I'm not just I'm not just another short little tiny uh, little, little tiny bald dude there, you know? Our our uh, buddy, little, Our buddy, little, buddy like, accounts, yeah. he accounts for, like, 99% in the history of WWE of writers being used for sight gags, okay? I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because he is the little guy, but it's like... I think it's because,
1: okay. To be honest, I think he actually, you know, um, we're, I'm going to break the fourth wall here a little bit, alright? Uh, he told me, like, there was, it's because he's literally there. That's okay. all it is. They're like, oh, hey, we need somebody for, like, there was one where he was in, like, a hotel, I think, with Del Rio, okay. and like, they, they, they asked somebody, I said, hey, where did he go? And it's like, uh, he was standing there. <laughs> My favorite one of all time was the one where he found Jericho's list. I
0: thought that was hysterical. That one was incredible. He up, he's just like, yeah, you uh, got your list over there. I'm like, oh my god! That well, was here, a good one. Here's the funny thing. is that You talk about breaking <laughs> the fourth wall. They did that one time literally for anybody that was in the know, which is a tiny percentage oh, yeah. of the audience, when he was <laughs> the, the, lead, one, right? the lead writer of SmackDown, and they went back to Gorilla. And he's there, like kind of like comically cowering in the background as AJ Styles is going after the boss, Shane, uh, Shane McMahon. Uh, you know, while you know the actual Booker is there in the background, and it's like for people who understand pro wrestling, this is the greatest, funniest moment in the history of the medium. Because well, I, was, I was thinking of the, the early one, which might have been his first
1: ever cameo, where DX was doing the whole thing when they had a Hollywood writer's strike, okay. and they were like. Who wrote this? Like, they're reading the list of Shawn Michaels and Triple H. He's like, who wrote this? They go, oh, we don't have any writers. And they look up, and there's the pencil, and he well, He's standing there, and all of a sudden, he's, like, looking. He's like, uh, and he just runs off and hides. He's like, what writer can we blame this on? He's like, uh-oh, and he runs away. It's a
0: funny, it's like, oh, that's amazing. I saw, I it. Yeah, I mean, he was, was, like, right when he first started there, I'm just like, I actually didn't know it was him. I did, like, a double take. I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute! How would you get there? Yeah, if, That's what I thought you were going to reference. If but, that's uh, how you found out he was working there, that's like the greatest story ever. If that was like your first hint that he was there, because it was like you know, I know it kind of like leaked out to a couple of us subsequently, like you know, which I don't blame him for. I don't blame him for that at all. Right. You got to keep a low profile, but you know, that was that would be hilarious if that if that turned out to be the first moment you realized it. But uh, you know, well. As far as the uh, in-ring shenanigans here, uh, the the remaining match that I think is going to go night one, because I think they're breaking this off from the night two stuff, Hell in a Cell, Edge v. The Demon, Finn Balor, which, again, they've already demystified the demon thing. Uh, already sacrificed him to Roman Reigns with the, uh, whoops, I slipped off the top rope uh, dealio. And it's just a thing where, The whole thing of, like, Edge having potential dream matches when he came back, okay, AJ Styles, and I think that that got kind of, you know, the storytelling on that one really kind of sucked. But at least it was a thing of, like, well, Edge was the biggest guy in one place and AJ Styles was the biggest, well, the biggest guy next to Cena, but work with me here, (laughs) and Batista. Okay, one of the biggest guys, okay? And AJ Styles is one of the biggest guys in another place. Like, but this is a thing of, like, what a dream match. Edge against the guy who really blew up two years after Edge retired? Like, you know, it's like Edge and, it's not even like they wrestle the same kind of style. It's not, you know, there, there's all these kind of things to, okay, Edge can do a dark brooding character, and that's what Judgment Day's all about at this point anyways, and they're the guys that took it away from him. So it's like, there's the storyline aspect of this, but it's just, I don't know, like, Edge's entire comeback peaked with, you and I saw it, the night of the Royal Rumble. I mean, it was like, and it was it's one of the most incredible, most emotional moments as a wrestling fan I can ever remember, but it's literally been all downhill since then, and this is going to be, you know, part of that. Is this going to be a a fine match? Probably, but, you know, typical Hell in a Cell these days is not going to have any blood or anything, so... Uh, it'll be a pretty good match, but by, by the classic standards of hell in a cell from back in the day, nothing to write home about, I'm afraid. Yeah, they're gonna do the, they'll are gonna do the modern
1: day spots. I mean, I would love to see blood, but it's not going to happen,
0: right. like, unfortunately. I mean, unless Gangrel comes out and he spits some out of his, you know. He's supposed to be there. Out of his...
1: Well, good for him. Yeah. Good for Gangrel, get a, Gangrel getting a WrestleMania
0: payday. Yep. Yeah, he's
1: a nice guy. I worked with him several shows uh, several years ago. Oh, okay. Um, Good yeah, for
0: him. Super.
1: Like, the, the, third show, the third show, the first show I, I worked with him, I was like, oh my God, it's gangrel. By like show number three, I was like, hey Dave. <laughs> kind of fun. But, um, uh, here's an interesting factoid on the demon. You know, and I agree, the whole, the ropes fell and he lost, which was after he did that whatever that false gyration thing was, which was just stupid. Um, The Demon only loses in the WWE to Samoan guys
0: named Joe.
1: Therefore, the Demon is going over in this match, in my opinion. He should. I think that uh, uh, Finn Balder's going to go over here, and, you know, how much more do we have left with Edge? Who knows? And I hate to say it, but I have to agree with you, man. uh, The the comeback peaked in that moment at the Rumble. You wanted to get behind him, you know, for... uh, at WrestleMania when he won the Rumble and went on to face Roman Reigns to try to win back the variation
0: And the fact that he's not on this show is uh, pretty shameful. Again, I'm never going to bitch about Finn Balor being on there. One of the best guys in the company still at this point, but particularly in that Judgment Day role. And, and as a heel, he's got a ceiling on him. Finn Balor... Uh, as a face, I think could still be one of their biggest stars, but uh, again, in a company where Vince is, is always like two seconds away from potentially regaining control, Finn Balor will never again become a main event face after being the first Universal Champion, briefly. Uh, I, was, I was about to say, question, did you know he was the first ever Universal Champion? Yeah. And it, then he never got a sniff at it again. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. You, you could probably win a lot of bar bets uh, with that one uh, based on the way his career has gone since then, but... Just everything with, with Edge, it's a thing. I'm so glad you brought up Ric Flair, because that's always the classic example, whether it be WCW 99-01, to, to 01, or whether it be Triple H's Reign of Terror. Like, Ric Flair, and, and I think he's the greatest of all time, but his insistence on being a heel... Helped kill the territory both instances because it's demoralizing. At that stage of his career, nobody wanted to boo Ric Flair. And like TNA Ric Flair, same thing. TNA Ric Flair. Nobody wants to boo Ric Flair. I understand he's most comfortable as a heel, but at the end of the day, you have to recognize that the boulder you're trying to push up the hill is way too big. You cannot get over as a heel. Ric Flair was never over as a heel. I I, like the last time it probably happened was maybe when he turned on Piper in '97. That was probably like the last time that it ever worked. And like Edge as a heel, that was disastrous. Edge's whole thing against uh, Rollins, that to me was kind of a dumb feud. This one's not much better. Hell in a Cell, yeah. I mean, look, both of these guys, they'll take some chances. They'll they'll get a decent match out of it, but not at classic Hell in a Cell. Standards. The next two matches here I'm prepared to completely crap on and probably not spend much time on. The WrestleMania Showcase matches, men and women's four-way tag team title matches that presumably will be number one contender matches, presumably in both cases. The women's match, Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez versus Natalya and Shotzi versus Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler versus Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville. Outside of Rousey and Baszler... All of these looking pretty thrown together, if you ask me. And uh, again, Rousey and Baszler, they're the only ones that make sense as far as going over with the whole MMA badasses thing here. And uh, again, I've already said it's not going to beat this into the ground anymore. Should have been Ronda and Becky in here. It's a thing where it's shameful, though. I'm just going to go back to this. You have Becky Lynch buried in a meaningless six-woman tag, and Ronda Rousey just another guy here, so to speak, in Thank this you. match. You know, like, like, how to take somebody who's a household name and make them absolutely meaningless. This this is one of the most pathetically booked matches they've done at WrestleMania with women, and they've done some real shite at WrestleMania. I remember the one uh, that they did a couple of years ago. Uh, it was a, I don't know if it was an elimination tag match or whatever, but that I thought that was like bottom of the barrel, but this is absolute bottom of the barrel. This is the worst. This is this is a, a complete waste of Ronda Rousey. Yes. That absolutely, she went from being a the female version of Brock Lesnar into being a, a special attraction, The because she's legitimately,
1: at one point in time, was legitimately the baddest woman on the planet. Yeah. And they took her and made her just another
0: person on the show. Like, yeah. she has lost everything that made her special. Yep. Her first run, say what you want about it,
1: TV. She only wrestled at
0: I believe so. Oh, that so. doesn't matter. I mean, this is... If, I hope not. This,
1: I hope not, too. If you're watching this, what, I mean, this is what I'm going to be watching for this match and in the men's showcase match. I'm going to watch the crowd and see how many people are going to the bathroom Yeah, or going to the concession stand. They're just leaving. This is completely unnecessary, and it doesn't add anything to the card other than blow it up, and at least the Battle Royals had some history to them and some sort of meaning, and they kind of, like, tried to, you know... Pretend it has some kind of prestige when they
0: first started them. Yeah, this is just unnecessary, and I don't care. Jake Digman, this match, I'll be so angry if it's an elimination match and just prolonging it, because it's already going to be the equivalent of having pubes ripped out and turpentine poured in the wound. So to have it go on as an elimination match would be unnecessary. Torture on top of that, to keep my tasteful analogy going. But yeah, this this match is just pathetic. And the whole thing of, like... You know, well, we didn't have a better way to book Ronda Rousey. Well, look, she doesn't seem to me like she's brimming with enthusiasm at this point, so it's like, cut her loose if you're not going to use her. Like, using her in this kind of a match, here's the thing, of like... It's a waste it, of money. Right, right. And, like, this if, match... If she doesn't work for free. Like, I'm pretty sure Ronda gets paid a nice hefty sum for the matches that she works She comes on there. Right. You're wasting your money with yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, you're paying her top dollar... To be an this forgettable piece of crap. And here's the thing, for all the criticism of Tony Khan, this is WWE's biggest show of the year. You find me a pay-per-view ever that AEW has had that has two matches like these two four-person tag or four-way tag matches. Whatever. Look, I'll grant you, there was some random crap last year at Forbidden Door. There was a lot of it. But you know what? At least every match rocked the Casbah, buddy. And that's the whole thing. It's not like they're going to uh, go out here and treat this like it's all Japan women's circa 1990s. That ain't happening. It's going to be mid as hell. And again, Ronda and Shayna will probably at least go over. It'll probably at least be the right result. I mean, it has to be. I'm going to they'll probably
1: make Shotzi win or something. But I could see them doing something stupid by having, uh, not shot to you, it was the Batgirl
0: uh, Raquel Gonzalez Rodriguez. Yeah. Name is. yeah. I can see her win by pitting, um, what's her face, uh, Chelsea Green. Yes. Like, where they don't even play into the finish at all. They're just like,
1: okay. Um, real quick, you mentioned AEW. AEW actually just did this on their last pay-per-view. Their tag team title match
0: was exactly this. Oh. It was uh, completely... Okay. kind of
1: just like, ah. I, and it, and it
0: Okay, it, it, was it, was, uh, it was unnecessarily bloated. bloated. Yeah, <laughs> I, I still don't think it's as bad as these two matches, but at, least it, it t- at least it was for a belt. Yeah. For, oh, this is for this is the literally we couldn't think of anything else for you to do, and right. apparently you know people don't want to work with well, you, and we're paying you. And, so and these you are these are not even officially number one contender matches, and uh, the thing for Raquel uh, Rodriguez. Uh, Her uh, alleged uh, paramour is performing uh, the same role in the next match here, Braun Strowman. Braun Strowman and Ricochet v. the Street Profits, v. Alpha Academy, v. the Viking Raiders. My first thought as I look at this to be the good smart mark that I am is where's Imperium uh, in in all of this here? You know, uh, got to find room uh, in there. I I would pluck out, uh, you you know, one of these Haas teams, I think, to make way for them. Uh, but this is one where, again, you know, Braun Strowman and Ricochet, you know, the odd couple team here. I mean, again, part of me thinks could be the Street Profits, you know, to maybe get another push here for the belts. But then again, are they going to do the breakup angle at some point? Are they going to do the breakup angle with Alpha Academy? Uh, allegedly, uh, Triple H would like to give a much better push to Chad Gable than he's gotten, to which I say is the good smart mark I am. It's well past time that should have happened, but I'll take it whenever uh, the Viking Raiders, a- again, they've never known what to do with them, so this is one where don't know, don't care. I, I mean, my guess probably is Stroman and Ricochet, just because, but uh, I don't know. I-, I-, I couldn't care less, Jake. You know what's the thing about this? The only thing again, I'm
1: gonna—I agree with everything you just said. I don't care. Everything I said for the women's match applies here. This is a match that—if this is a match that was—if it was on Monday Night Raw, I would fast forward over it. Yep. This is literally a Raw match. I fast forward over Oh yeah. It's wrestling is a wrestling match for the sake of a wrestling match. Zero story context to it whatsoever. Of guys, how many times the street, the street of Prophets
0: and Alpha Academy faced each other? Yeah. Hundreds.
1: I don't care. I've seen it. I know how the story goes. I'm not. I'm not. They'll do fancy moves. they they're be like, oh, but whatever. Here's the thing. I want to point out. We mentioned like, you know, we're talking about Ronda Rousey uh, in the previous match to a, a lesser extent. Braun Strowman, man. When Braun Strowman left WWE, he was like a bait event top guy. He was yep. like, you know, he was the he, people forget this. He was the guy that Roman Reigns pinned to win Bray Wyatt's Universal Championship who had just won it for Braun Strowman like the week prior. Yep. He was in that mix. He was in the hunt. And he comes back and he's just like in great shape. Like he like in phenomenal shape. You know he would almost think he'd be repositioned right back near the top of the car to do some stuff with, but instead they have him in this like buddy cop, big guy, little guy tag team that, again, he went from being the monster amongst men that had a huge groundswell when he was half, half as good as he is now in the ring, and now he's just like, he's just another guy in a tag team that, quite frankly, everyone just thought, okay, when is he going to turn on Ricochet? I said, a, I said I saw a turn coming at WrestleMania. This is also not the match where that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I'll go with those two winning, sure, I guess. I don't know. I don't, I really well, don't care. I, I don't think, I don't see, even if this is a number one contenders match coming out of this, okay. But they just had a tag, those two just had a tag team title match not too long ago. The yeah. Alpha Academy winning because of the process of splitting
0: them up you know, what the heck, it's either going to be
1: them with the Street Profits, but quite frankly, the true winners of this is going
0: to be the concession stand lines and the bathrooms. Well, absolutely. Uh, good good chance to poop out your Crunch Crunchwrap Supreme or whatever you were eating in the matches before this, but uh, I-, I will say this, uh, for Braun Strowman, the trajectory here, WrestleMania 34, teaming up with a 10-year-old kid to defeat the bar and become tag team champions, to five years later... Uh, teaming up with Ricochet and maybe not even winning a mid-card uh, tag match. Uh, so uh, again, uh, maybe uh, Braun Strowman isn't uh, controlling his narrative as well as he thinks. If you're picking up what I'm putting down, so. I th- oh, am, yeah, but have uh, the bright side. At least his tag team partner slightly taller. Well, he yeah he is he is Ricochet is slightly taller than a ten-year-old kid. Uh, and uh, since we just ragged on him, and a billion times more awesome, Ricochet, one of the most awesome wrestlers. On the face of the planet. Love me some Prince Puma. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, ricochet more than any other guy in this match by a mile too good for this slop. Uh, When we talk about the tag team champions here, uh, this is a match that, again, I think is likely to be night one, because I think they're going to split up the bloodline stuff. The match that, at minimum, should be the main event of night one, and a match that, if I'm going to go true smart mark here, Uh, It should be Sami Zayn being the guy who uh, beat Roman Reigns, but uh, that ship has sailed. They didn't even have Kevin Owens uh, do the reunion with him in Montreal. They just left it the flattest of flat uh, finishes here. Uh, Nevertheless, there is still a decent amount of hype for this. The Usos v. Owens and Zayn for the Tag Team Championship. And, uh, again, uh, the, the Usos are an act that, to be honest with you, I have found to be pretty stale for years. But uh, the bloodline has reheated them up. Uh, Owens and Zayn, the on and off thing. Remember, they did the match, I think it was two years ago in Tampa, and it was just, and it, it felt kind of forced. It's like, oh, the latest incarnation of these guys of all these years and whatever. But, I mean, look, this time around, they've they've gotten a lot of people into it, including me. Uh, Even the nice, whole, smart uh, inside reference that they made to that they really got to be huge as a tag team in the City of Angels, and now they're coming back uh, to wrestle for the World Tag Team Championship. Nice little PWG shout-out there. And, uh, again, I'm I'm pretty hyped for this one here. I think it is going to be Owens and Zayn going over. Let me put it to you this way. For any of the fears that they have about the main event night, two, Sami Zayn not walking away with at least a tag title And I think they're smart enough to know this. It raises the odds by a gazillion that Cody Rhodes is over flatter with the crowd than he should be in the main event. Sami Zayn needs to come away with gold. If not, the smart marks in the crowd could end up taking it out on Cody later on. Yeah, I could very much see that
1: happening. Um, Which uh, this is another one where I have actually really enjoyed the, the the build to this as far as long-term
0: storytelling goes, completely unexpected storytelling, too. Right. Coming up last year, when he said Sami Zayn Johnny
1: Knoxville in a match, that some people, I guess, absolutely love. And I
0: was like, this is terrible. But, like,
1: other people around me, and people, were like, well, yeah, I had friends of mine who were huge jackass fans who thought it was absolutely fantastic. And I'm like... Okay, I'm just watching Dude get buried here, but whatever. Um, But maybe, you know, I'm not the audience that they were targeting for that. Just the way they rehabilitated Zane, as somebody who told you a year ago that he'd be the most popular guy in the company, you know, you wouldn't have believed it. the storytelling they've done with the bloodline of the Usos, um, it, it makes me proud because I don't know if you remember our draft we did when they first hit the brand spits and I pitched the idea of uh, Roman and uh, yes. uh, the Usos together with Joe as their heater, which I mean, okay, we got Solo instead of Samoa Joe, but it was kind of the envision that I had there, yes. you know? Was his whole idea behind this. So just I'm glad you remember that. So yes. watch this is kinda of like an idea of like, was a, was a friend of ours listening off my phone was a of ours <laughs> listen to that conversation we had when we did that draft, you know? Just saying. Maybe maybe they, we have people listening that we don't know about. But um so as far as long term storytelling goes, it's been uh, you know, if it's Build to this has been done superbly. Uh, a lot of times I will fast-forward through stuff and only watch one-line segments because the rest of it is just wrestling for the sake of wrestling. I hate to say that, but it's true. Especially when it comes to like you know the, the weekly television
0: products that you yourself said you kind of have distanced yourself from, which yep. is the way they have done this.
1: And again, I have said, you know, they, if you pay, pay attention, especially with the way Kevin Owens embraced Zane. After everything that went down, and there's a part of me that has said, you know, I can absolutely see Kevin Owens turning on Sami Zayn at WrestleMania and being like, How did you not see this coming? You should have very easily seen this coming to them. Just the way he re embraced him, the way everything went, the slow subtleties, and the way that he's kind of been acting about stuff. It's It's almost like, you know, he's not full on. Yeah, I'm sure they've hugged and everything. However, I think those are just red herrings. I, I, I agree with you that I also heard another theory that Sami Zayn turns on Kevin Owens and the whole thing with a ploy. And I'm like, that just kills it dead in the water. That's a terrible idea. I can see
0: WWE doing that. But the, if it was under Vince's regime, that's what would happen. Oh yeah. Um, Yes, I was just thinking of that. He walked up the aisle. I was there. I was there. Dude, I was just thinking of that. Yes. Think they ever were, but they were. I think in PWG, uh, as okay. he had referred to. Which, I mean, unless you live in that town, you never saw it. So, well, that's true. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I think this is going to be, you know, a,
1: a moment, and I think it'll give the crowd their chance to cheer and let out and um, let out all their emotions. Because, like you, I agree with you. If they don't have Sammy with uh,
0: something, they will crap all over the main event. They will, they will, and again. It could, I, th- I agree with you. I think it's a red herring, but it is a little bit jarring that, like, Owens, that the justification he gave for, for not immediately embracing Sammy, even after Montreal, uh, was about, like, well you let me get brutalized, you know, a lot worse even at the Royal Rumble, and, like, Kevin Owens was, like, claiming the mantle of, like, moral superiority as far as, you know, I didn't let the same thing happen to you in Montreal, but we're, it's not like we're brothers again. Like you said, it's a, it's been a little bit jarring. I think it's red herring. I think, like you said, it is Shades of Mr. Perfect at uh, 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 the Survivor Series 92. I think it'll be them winning. And as far as, look, last year, I am a huge jackass guy that was right in my wheelhouse, so I can simultaneously say it's one of these things. Most of the time when WWE does things that I would be embarrassed if a non-wrestling person saw it, I would be covering my face It was simultaneously embarrassing, but I was entertained. It's like the only thing they've ever done that was that embarrassing where I was like, I can let it go because I laughed, you know? I enjoyed it in that sense. Normally I'm a little more humorless when they are, you know, doing that kind of crap. But it was just so ridiculous, Uh, you know, that I I just, all all the old uh, jackass gags, I'm just, a, I'm just a sucker for that stuff. I, <laughs> I, did, I, did, I did like Sammy Kick and the living crap on a wee band. That was pretty good. That was great. And then <laughs> I just, I remember the classic from back in the day. Uh, so uh, my my good friend uh, and uh, a, a one-time contributor to our show, my, my close personal friend, Paul Pasek, uh he and I went to see one of the Jackass movies back in the day. And we went and it was a matinee and we were the only two people in the theater. And uh, we were, we were, I was telling that to my dad, and he goes, so between you two and the movie, there was just three jackasses in the in the theater. So, you know, <laughs> I suppose I had that one coming. But, uh, uh, again, as, as far as a match that, uh, how's this for a segue? I believe I'm still unmatched in this. I think you'd have to be a jackass to really be looking forward to this one for work rate. Rey Mysterio v. Dominic Mysterio. They're doing the father-son match at Mania. And uh, there had been a school of thought that they would wait until maybe Dominic Mysterio uh, ambushing him at the Hall of Fame to get him into a match the next day. But clearly, they wanted to get this on the match or on the card prior to that. So, again, Dominic has at least become interesting as a stooge heel, you know, in this role. He has, for the first time in his life, become entertaining. And. If you're going to have a thing going forward with the Judgment Day, if this is going to be a crew going forward, then, like, Dominic Mysterio as, like, the Buddy Roberts of the 2020s, that could have some legs to it. Like, that that guy is, like, the stooge for a faction. Uh, you know, I, I could see that. I don't think he's got an upside beyond that. Then again, look, you have to have him go over a Mysterio. It, it's, it's one of these things where you just... Which again, you know, so much for the feel-good moment at Red WrestleMania. The guy's ingrate kid has been dogging him for months and months and months and months, and and you you go to see Ray go to get revenge. And hey, I guess the kid was right all along because he cheats to beat him. You know, that part of it's going to be kind of awkward. But I mean, I'm assuming the young guy has to go over in this circumstance. Uh,
1: I I agree with you. I think it's going to be some kind of dastardly like cheating that Dominic does to win, maybe Priest helps him, that's how Priest gets on the card, I don't know, and that's how, you know, uh, which is sad for Damien Priest, but maybe that's how he gets on the card, and he helps him win, and I think, you know, it leads to a rematch in a, uh, that we
0: see at the, uh, is Extreme Rules coming up, Uh, I think? I think I think it's Backlash, and I think it's, the next one I think is in Puerto Rico, look, there's been rumors about Bad Bunny, Making his way onto the card, you could maybe see that. Maybe that's the one case for Rey Mysterio going over. Bad Bunny comes out to counter the interference, helps uh, Mysterio win. Maybe you get a tag team match in Puerto Rico. I see that, and then you have um, plus the history of. Bad Bunny and Priest from yeah. WrestleMania last year,
1: two years ago. Yeah. I can see that happening. I just see this leading up to an idea of, um, that's why I asked the Extreme Rules was coming up. It just seems like a perfect gimmick. Uh, a, an old-school Lucha
0: Libre gimmick coming out of this as a blow-off to this, being mask versus hair. Yes. Where
1: I see Ray, uh, Dom, cheating to win with the help of Priest. Help. Bad Bunny comes out and saves Ray, then they can do a beat down. Bad Bunny, of all people, comes out and does the save, okay, right. whatever is what it is. They're not appealing
0: to us with that. Right. Um, but I think I think the ultimate payoff to this is mask versus hair and well, Doc loses a good set shift. well yeah very possibly and again if this is where uh, the bad bunny uh, in, uh, spot comes in because there's been talk about him being in a role that might have some physicality on the card then I have a chance to be just like uh, Nostra Jakos here with uh, your whole thing about the bloodline years before it happened I might be the guy that called something here uh, before it happens, we shall see. but uh, as far as the blood I'm for you, buddy. yeah, well, well, we'll see we'll, we'll see if it uh, pans out. As far as the bloodline goes, we are looking at what theoretically should be the culmination of a years long storyline of the bloodline. But then again, I mean, we were saying, uh, well, I think we knew last year that he was going to go over Brock Lesnar, but like the year before, it was kind of like, well, you know, this is a spot where, again, they could have put it on Edge, they could have put it on Brian, whatever. Uh, they were they were building at some point to Rock versus Reigns, which didn't end up happening. You were saying back then, well, clearly that uh, match doesn't need the belt, which I enthusiastically agreed with. But, you know, they've gone along, they've done this, and and this has been for the modern era, sort of the heel equivalent of uh, Bruno Sammartino back in the 60s. Because, uh, again, in the modern cycle with all the pay-per-views, I mean, how many feuds a year really did Bruno Sammartino have? So, you know, you you could have him, and the way that Hogan was with the long reign in the 80s, you know, it was easier to do long reigns back then. Much easier to do long title reigns when you didn't have the monthly pay-per-views and everything like that, or premium live events, whatever you want to call them. This has been very daring and very gutsy doing it with a heel and building them up in this way and everything. At a certain point, you got to pay it off with somebody beating them. That somebody, again, if you'd have told us this 15 months ago, the person to do it was going to be Cody Rhodes. I think we both would have laughed the, incredulously. The face of- Yeah, yeah, although... To the point where nothing has changed, he's the exact same character, yeah, just mind-blowing. Well, yeah, and that's where, again, it kind of backed him into a corner, because Roman Reigns with the whole thing of, like, you couldn't get over here, you couldn't get over there, I mean, that's the whole, which, which by the way is a lie, because Cody started off pretty hot there, and then, you know... Things things went sideways with with all the other rope that Tony Khan gave him. Tony Khan couldn't reel in the Cody verse, and that's what ended up, you know, leading to him not being over. But you know, I mean, this is this is kind of shades of like Triple H, Booker T. People like you don't win uh, titles like this, you know, at WrestleMania 19. Like Roman Reigns is kind of putting him in the position here and lording over him, kind of or like. He's racist, though. Well, yeah. I mean, this is the non-racist equivalent, yes. Of, of, of doing that. But it's one of these things where, I, I, again, it's kind of backed it into a corner. I mean, it it's really interesting because, again, the crowds have been, and people have been pointing this out, the crowds have been behind Cody throughout this for as much as a lot of the fans. 100% of the Smarks wanted it to be Sammy going over and beating Roman. But the crowds have stayed behind Cody. But it's one of these things where, again, is a little more Smark-heavy. For the whole thing... We've been hearing about, you know, in the days leading up to this, well, they're not 100% sure which way they're going on this. I mean, it would be funny. I do expect it to be Cody in the end, because I think there has to be that payoff moment that they've been building to. And they want to have an equivalent. They, They haven't had one, but you go back nine years, the outcry that there was, just the outpouring of love, when Daniel Bryan won the title, as he was known at the time, okay? It's not going to be that big if Cody wins it, but just the relief of somebody beating Roman Reigns, that's the thing where you could just really have that. And the determination they have to have a moment and crown somebody, but crown somebody they want to crown. They didn't want to crown Daniel Bryan. They went with it because they had to. But to crown a guy that they want to crown in Cody Rhodes, but it would be funny as hell in the middle of the match... If it's like split reactions or whatever, if they just called an audible, <laughs> we're like, LOL, Roman wins again. That, that, that would be funny. I don't see that happening
1: for a couple of reasons. Uh, first one, this is, this is an interesting tell in wrestling that I never really noticed, but now looking back on it in hindsight, it's 100% true. If a babyface says I'm going to win the
0: championship, yep. they win the championship. Yep. If
1: they say anything other than like you know I'm going to give it my best, Yo, I'm going to give you the fight of my life, I'm going to give it everything I've got, right. they're losing. Cody Rhodes has flat out said I'm winning the championship. Yep. He's winning unless he turns heel, he's winning the championship. Yep. And you're and just because you know, and that's that's what a babyface does. Um. Uh, I think we're going to, uh, Cody Rose, we're going to get that feel good, much not di- similar yet different, like you said, to the Daniel Ryan moment. That was something that could never be replicated. That was a moment in time. Right. But it'll be the feel good, happy ending. Now, here's the thing where I'm going with on this one. Two things. One, do you think we see Brandy and Farrow as part of his entrance? Do you think we get the whole like AEW or everyone's on the stage and he walks out? Do we get the Cody elevator back? I say we do. Yep. Just because it's WrestleMania, I say we get that. Um, that's going to be now uh, a you know the, the big pizzazz and the huge uh, entrance to it. This is where the turn comes that I said I think we're going to have, and I think we're going to pay off one of the longest stories in WWE, Jey Uso turns on Roman Reigns, I don't know how they get there, I don't know how the involvement goes, All oh, you gotta do the ref bump, but it's Jey Uso's the one who ultimately, and he looks him right in between the eyes, and waffles him with the chair, the place goes absolutely ballistic, Cody hits like four crossroads in a row, pins him one, two,
0: three, okay. and
1: since really the bloodline started was with Uso and Roman Reigns and if you maybe it goes somewhere else but definitely see Roman Reigns taking some time off and we see how long it takes until the fans turn on Cody Rhodes because something about his character as
0: Exactly, and uh, again, it could go that way, because again, what you're referencing with Paul Heyman, you go back to 2015, the very beginning, the very, very beginning, the the sunrise of the whole extended uh, uh, feud of Reigns and Lesnar that would go on and off for seven years at WrestleMania. Uh, He was already dropping nuggets then about how far back he went with the Samoan family and everything like that, Romans' ancestors and everything. So the same way that uh, uh, Paul Heyman had the uh, relationship with Dusty Rhodes. So this would not be the first time uh, that that had happened. So that would make sense as far as aligning them here at some point. Uh, Cody, yeah, he could very well uh, wear out his welcome. And, uh, again, the thing with Jey Uso, my inclination on that would be to say that it's it's not smart, because I don't think you'd want to do anything to water down Cody doing it, getting the job done himself, take, take the spotlight off that in any way. But I've been wrong before, and when I was wrong before, it was actually 20 years ago last month, because I thought that the way that Eddie won the championship off of Brock uh, back uh before WrestleMania, uh, actually that was uh that was in 2004, not not 03. My bad. But Eddie Guerrero when he beat Brock Lesnar, so 19 years ago. Remember that it, it wasn't like 90 percent Goldberg interference that made it happen. And then I think like Eddie hit a frog splash at the end, and I was like, that's not the way I would have crowned Eddie. But you know what? It didn't matter. Nobody gave two craps. So maybe revisionist, his, revisionist history also eliminated the Goldberg version of that. That's right.
1: It, you never see it. They never mention that, and the same thing with this, okay? Because it's okay. a payoff to that. They'll, the only thing. That's, the, the, the moment they'll show forever is Cody Rhodes doing the second or third crossroads in the stage, and they're going, ah! And hit that final one to get in the pit. They'll leave the whole part of Jey Uso be involved completely out of it as the story goes on, as they tell the story years from now on, like you know the eighty biographies or something. But I mean. As far as, you know, the whole, the whole premise of this is finish the story, and right. that's
0: one of the stories that has to be finished. And I only say that because every single one of Roman's title defenses has interference. You know what? They've and, won, that didn't have They've all had some sort of yes, interference involved. Yes, in and Jake Digman, you're absolutely correct that their approach to everything is that history is written by the winners, and, and not just their revisionist uh, DVDs that they did about the Monday Night Wars, But as far as, like, they'll do something, and then down the road, they'll put a completely different spin on it. There's never been a better example of this than what seemed inexplicable at the time. uh, The Rock beating Cena uh, at WrestleMania in 2012. We're scratching our heads until the next night when it becomes clear they're setting up for the next year. But it becomes, how are you going to get from here to there? To the frustration of me, you, and countless other people, they feed a red-hot returning Brock Lesnar to Cena the next month just to pump him up again. And Cena goes through a year, uh, you know, getting a lot of wins over key guys, uh, not not getting the uh, the win for the championship over CM Punk, but basically everything short of that for the next year, and then they get to WrestleMania the next year, and he's portraying it like. Oh, after I lost you, I was like homeless and destitute, and you were responsible for my divorce. This was the worst year of my life. They completely retconned the entire thing into John Cena had the worst year of his life. They were unevil, they were unwilling to have John Cena have the worst year in his life in real time because it would have taken money out of their pocket. But they retroactively portrayed it that way. The notion that, that they would do it this way, with Cody winning on a lot of interference, and then airbrushing it out of history, is entirely consistent with how they've always done business. Yeah, I mean, and I wouldn't be don't be surprised when it happens. Rick Morris. It's funny that you brought up, a, funny you brought up the whole Cena thing, yeah,
1: Cena Rock thing. Keep that. over watching, it. She, she didn't watch back then, so we were watching the Rivals thing on A uh-huh. and E, and I'm like, I'm sitting there watching, I go. None of this is how it
0: happened. <laughs> like,
1: like, what? I go, oh no! It was like Freddie Prince Jr. Like, and everyone was excited. We knew they had to do it again. I'm like, no one wanted that match. Right. If you watched, if you watched it, the people groaned during it. They were like, the first one, everybody wanted. They were here for. It. Like, okay, it was like you know, a quote unquote dream match. The second one was like, dude. It, it, it felt like you just got, like, you know, that you had been hoodwinked and lied to. Yep. And as you said, the whole, like, oh, John Cena the worst year of his life. I'm like, if that's the worst year of your life, dude, I'll trade you, man. I'll yeah. trade you in a heartbeat. Because, yeah, it was funny. Just, again, them you know, their WWE and history, the fans were clamoring for it. Not a soul was clamoring for that match. No. No one wanted to see part two. Nobody. Nobody was like, okay, we got to, Cena's got to get a win back. LOL, Cena wins. Nope. Nobody wanted it, and I'm like, you know, they, they do they do clever editing on that, they show, like, you know, Rock handing him the belt, pointing at him. They don't show you the crowd because the crowd is either leaving or vehemently booing, which was a theme for WrestleMania for about, you know, uh, with the exception of 30 and Daniel Bryan um, pretty much is a theme ever since, if you really think about it. Yeah. Okay, so 31,
0: they booked themselves into a corner, you got the, um, you got, uh, Roman Roman uh, and Brock with roman uh, Brock with the uh Rollins coming that out cash in to save that one uh, 32 them vehemently booing roman and triple
1: h out of the building because no one wanted that yeah. at all Oh, that's so true. Maybe, maybe we'll get back to like
0: you know the, the good old days and what could to bring this full circle of how you know what
1: could be the last WrestleMania as we know it. Maybe we'll get back to the good old days of how it used to be in the end of the the end of the day where the the babyface goes
0: over, stands triumphantly, and the crowd goes home happy. We'll, well see. Well, well, we'll see. And again, as far as it went with Cena, a couple of thoughts on that. You're absolutely right because again. The thing that people were dreading about the first one was the outcome on the first one seemed certain because they they kept doing the whole one-time-only kind of a deal. And it's like, oh, so they're going to do it where, you know, the cynical thing, and then this is, Rock's going to, you know, endorse him as the star of the next generation and hold his hand up. So it was like, when it didn't happen the first year, everyone knew Cena was going over the second year. Everyone knew you were getting the dreaded forced endorsement here. But the thing that's hilarious is this thing of, like, the greatest star of this era versus they portrayed it as the greatest star of the previous era. I'm sure Stone Cold Steve Austin had his hand in the air, like, what about me, fellas? But as far as that went, like, Rock endorsed John Cena at, it wasn't 11.59, but it was 11.55 of Cena being, like, the central figure. Because it was just... By the next year, Cena was uh, wrestling for, uh, or, whoa, he was wrestling Bray Wyatt the next year. He was wrestling uh, Rusa for the U.S. title the next year. Like, never again would John Cena be in a world title main event at WrestleMania. So, like, the matches against The Rock capped off his run. It wasn't a matter of, like, he's endorsing our star to go forward. No, that was the end of Cena being as central as he was. Isn't that hilarious? But, you know, the irony of that is when Hogan did it for Rock, Rock
1: left right after that, too. Yes. <laughs> it was the exact same thing that happened. Yes. So, it's like, it like, yeah, Andre passed the torch to Hogan. Hogan passed it to Rock. And Rock's like, oh, cool, thanks here. I'm out. He's <laughs> like, oh, hey, thanks for this torch. Can I use it to guide me through the mummy? <laughs> like, that's what he did with it. Yeah, you're right, the whole thing was Cena. It's like, oh, my God. He yeah. passed the torch, it's like, yeah, he's the guy now. No, he's been the guy. It was, what, 2013 that happened? He's yeah. been the guy
0: for seven years. I mean, and that's <laughs> like the whole thing. Listen, with, with Cody winning this, I mean, the thing that's incredible is that this has the chance to be the biggest baby face win at Mania, and again, as far as ones that they want, not the ones that were forced on them, because you've you've got, if you go back, this would be the biggest babyface win at Mania, as you've indicated, since uh, Daniel Bryan, as he was then known, at WrestleMania 30. Prior to that, because of the Cena years, you kind of got to go back to... Probably Benoit and Guerrero at 20, which we choose not to remember these days for obvious reasons, so it's like... Which is weird, because I was there. Odd. Yeah. That's, that's, such an, that's such an odd one Yeah, me, because that was the moment being there live. That if it wasn't for me
1: being there live, you and I would not be having this conversation right now. That's it true. Going to that show and seeing Chris Benoit with the cha- him and Eddie Guerrero holding up the belt is what inspired me to go to broadcasting.
0: it. People ask you uh, how you got inspired to get into all of this, and the answer you give them could very well be, I was so inspired by a man who would go on to murder his entire family. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. I know. Just like, It's so crazy. It's like, oh. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, Yeah, and Cena. Uh, yeah, you're G-way. right. You know, people were clamoring for that. You're that right. I'm trying to think of any of the other ones. No, uh, 24. Undertaker Edge. No, that was just like you win. That, that was kind of really, flat. Like, that was flat. Uh, 25. God, no. That was you got to go back to the Attitude Era, and again, to come full circle on our broadcast here, uh, which is going to be two segments here by the time we're done with it, but uh oh one. We started off talking about WrestleMania 17, how that was the end of the era with WCW, which could be a a, a similar moment in time to what we're seeing as the end of this era of WWE. And you still had the crowd that was very much behind Steve Austin in that moment. That was the thing. The crowd chose to overlook uh, Vince McMahon joining up with him in that moment. It, It almost seemed to play more to the live crowd as a Vince McMahon face turn than a Stone Cold heel turn. So. You know, you almost have to go back to the Attitude Era, and then, you know, Stone Cold's wins at WrestleMania, certainly. So, this moment with Cody, we haven't had a whole lot of moments like this in the last two decades plus. So, oh, weird. God, it so, so weird, God! So it's so weird. It didn't really dawn on me until you brought it up. It's like, yeah, for how long Vince McMahon stuck a giant middle finger to his most, most passionate members of his fan base. Jake, more than half the history of WrestleMania. This is thirty-nine. WrestleMania started off in the Hogan years, being defined by babyface wins at WrestleMania, and then that was the case, I think, pretty much throughout the Attitude Era, and then again. The first time of a heel winning uh, WrestleMania 2000 with Triple H, I think of that as a throwaway show because you didn't have Austin on the show there. So I think they looked at it like if ever there was a moment we could do it, it was a four-way match anyways, which kind of, you know, watered it down. It wasn't Triple H and The Rock head up at WrestleMania like it very well should have been. So, you know, but the next year you get back to that pattern, it's Austin and The Rock. Austin wins, but like I said, the crowd pretends to ignore the heel turn. But we've had very, yeah, for more than half the time of uh, the history of WrestleMania, it's been mostly downer moments at the end of WrestleMania. I mean, it's incredible to think. We just, we're just thinking about this now, putting this into perspective in real time. But, you know, at the end of the Wait, show. Does, 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 it, does it count as a triumphant babyface conquering if no one gives a crap about the babyface? I'm looking at you, Triple H, and your two <laughs> WrestleMania babyface. That's That's it. Oh two no, and oh nine scared. Yeah, could could hear a pin drop both times and I remember, I remember being at WrestleMania eighteen and he wins and he holds up the belt and after the show he goes,
1: It's time to play the game but my buddy went with me when the show, he looks over and goes, Is that it? I go, Yeah. Is that, he's like is that, I go, Yeah, that's it. He goes, That's all he's gonna say, that's all that's gonna happen. I look at him and I go, What else do you want him to say? He's like, I don't know. And it was the first time I ever experienced leaving. It was my first WrestleMania, and I walked ever just like flat because we were such huge NWO
0: marks. The yeah. Like, so the NWO's dead, and that's just it. He just won it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I like, yeah. was like, that was just so flat. That was so sad. Well, I. <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm, I'm going to close the show here by uh, going back to a WrestleMania memory from that area here era here just to try and pop you with a story here. I may have brought this up before, in which case it'll be diminishing returns on how much you laugh. I don't remember, but WrestleMania 20. While you were there watching it live, Benoit was my favorite wrestler at that time as well. I must admit. So I'm watching it at Harpo's. Here in the Cleveland area, area, which had just moved from its previous Brook Park Road location to Smith Road, they're having the grand opening that week. Uh, the the uh, uh, owner of the Sports Talk Network, good old Bo Chues himself, he had preferential treatment there, so he had you know a, a a marquee table there in that place. That place was filling up rapidly, so I'm sitting there at the at the STN table. And they're waving in other people here, too. There were some SRO people in there. So there were some strangers getting seated amongst us. So I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm next to this uh, biker-looking dude, tough biker-looking dude, sleeveless T-shirt, black sleeveless T-shirt, whatever. And uh, I, I go to order, like, a whole bunch of wings. I was really kind of a glutton on that day. I just got, like, a, a gigantic thing of wings. And I'm expecting something similar. And this biker-looking dude next to me is like, Fettuccine Alfredo please <laughs> like <laughs> didn't see that one coming
1: <laughs> so uh, great no you never told me that that's something gonna say he I thought you were going to say I thought you were going to
0: say he uh, was like I'll just have a salad <laughs> I mean close <laughs> enough Close enough. I was not expecting dude bro next to me to go fettuccine Alfredo. So, all right, well, I'm glad I can uh, bring this all the way around, giving you another pop there for the road. But uh, Jake Digman, uh, you gave me many pops along the way here in the course of doing this. Uh, As always, a priceless thing to get to preview any kind of wrestling event with you. Uh, Thank you so much for being here and being a part of this one, buddy. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure, and uh, I look forward to the next time we can do this. I look forward to it, too, buddy. We'll be back on Breaking Down the Pro graps again before you know it. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for checking out the FDH Lounge preview of Wrestlemania 39 with the great Jake Digman.